0: Welcome to our podcast. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you, and hope to connect with you soon. Good morning, family. Oh, man, oh, man, we're going to do this again. Good morning, family. Goodness, I am grateful to be back with you again. Um, Again, my name is Lawrence Aja, and I am uh, excited to even witness this. give, Give James another round of applause, please. For some people, they're kind of like James. It's God, right? Like, <laughs> so of course, both of them. Um, it's something to to see somebody that you've known for such a long time, and then see him at such a pivotal moment. It does something to kind of strengthen the relationship you have with them. To have an encounter and have an experience like this, and all of you see it. Now, this is not the first time I'm with you. It's the second time, and. Uh, I feel a lot more familiar, you know, uh, Pastor Robert and I text more. And, uh, you know, I I think for preachers and pastors, if if I preach here twice, we're family now, right? We're family now? (laughs) You know, it's like back in the day when you actually, you know, uh, I don't know if people ever wrote letters. I know that's an ancient thing, not emails and texts, but you wrote letters to your crush. And it's like, okay, one letter is just like it's a little, you you know, you're still filling it out. But two letters, we go together, right? (laughs) But the truth is, there is nothing... I mean, nothing worse than overestimating your relationship with someone. Nothing worse. I remember back in the day, you know, anybody else go to what I call establishments of the night? Establishments of the night is when you went downtown. You guys went to Midtown, wherever you went, depending on where you... And typically, when you go there, there was some long line, a long line when you got there. And so you go out there, you know, you're looking good, you got, you got your stuff on, there's no phones, there's nothing like that, but you see the long line. And if you're feeling kind of self-important, you're like, man, maybe I know somebody at the front of the line. And if you did know somebody at the front of the line, there was the hope that you get to skip to the front of the line. Now, I have to tell a story that's a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to bring you in in terms of how bad it is to overestimate the relationship you have with someone. Now, uh, a couple of year, oh, about a year ago, I was headed to uh, Harlem because there was a big movie premiere for um, a movie uh, called, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, When They See Us by Netflix. So, When They See Us was directed by Ava DuVernay. Um, see, she's on the screen. You see Ava, um, and it's a story of five young men who were um, who were accused of committing a really, really um, heinous crime. And I think many of you are are, are familiar with this story. Now, there's this big, big, big premiere, and I know Ava. You know, I, I, I know Ava. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty familiar with Ava, but I don't really, really know Ava like that. And so I think you see this photo, but there's another photo coming up after this that kind of shows you, so like me and Ava hanging, right? So I don't really know her like that. We actually sat on a board together. I've seen her a couple places. If we were both introduced, you would probably... So you would probably she would probably recognize me, but I don't know her. Know her? I've sent her emails. We've exchanged emails, but I don't know her like that. Now, fast forward. I head up to Harlem. I'm excited. I got tickets to the premiere, and I'm heading up there. And when you get to Harlem and the Apollo Theater, there's literally six a Six Flags line that's going around 125th. It's the longest line on earth, you know. And so, in my mind, something crossed my mind. We can call it the enemy something crossed my mind. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to email Ava. She's going to get me past this line. Now, remember, Ava's hanging with Oprah and people and all the time. So I'm, I'm emailing her. I'm going to the top of the line, and the people are saying, like, are, are, you know, the back of the line's there. I was like, no, 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 it's all good. I'm going to email Ava. And I'm here with friends, too. We all have tickets. And everybody's waiting and waiting, and I'm sending the email, sending the email, and I'm popping my head around. And, you know, um, I think you know the end of the story. I'm waiting outside the line, and we went and left and got something to eat (laughs) because we couldn't get to the top of the line. Now, it was kind of embarrassing to be around my friends because they're kind of looking at me like, oh, you know Ava, huh, don't you, right? But as sad as, as shameful as that is, and as, uh, I think, unsettling and embarrassing as it is, that pretty much describes much of our relationship with God. (laughs) You, You... encountered him, you pray to him, you sing to him, you do all these things with him. But since maybe that last encounter you had at the baptism pool, how many of you really remember the last time you had an encounter where it was like, oh, this is only God? This was a real encounter with God. We could point to the things that we do in faith. We could point to the practices We could print to the Sunday morning, but how many of you could hold on and consistently can hold on to experiences that said it was only God? Now, we all know as God is this immortal, invisible, all-knowing, all-present figure that God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, sits at the right hand, and us who have put our faith in God have the Holy Spirit with us. But an encounter with God, the type of encounter I'm talking about is not the hope that you think that Jesus is walking down Willets right now in Birkenstocks and that we see him every day. The encounter with God that I'm talking about is that that only God moment where in faith you know that it was only God who spoke to you, who is only God who answered that prayer, who was only God who met you in the moment of need. Because if all you have to hold on to are the things that you do for God, you cease to have a Savior. If you find that you work more for God, do more things for God, than you actually witnessing the things that God has done for you, you do not have a Savior, you have a supervisor. We need a Savior. We need a Savior now, and you need a Savior every single day of your life, that you could point to the Savior working in your life. How many people in this room are yearning for God to meet you in a specific issue that you have going on right now, that you are hungering for God to move? Raise your hand if you have that. How many of you are just waiting and saying, God, I've, 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 I've prayed, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've done everything you told me to do. I've been faithful. I forgave that person. But God, I'm waiting for you to meet me. Meet me in this. You hunger. You hunger for a God you can encounter. You hunger for a God that meets you and that sees you in all that you do. Now the truth is that we all can know a lot about God, but there's a difference knowing a lot about God and knowing God, because Jesus did not die for you to have a second-rate and second-hand relationship with him. He died that you would have a real encounter, that you would come to know him on a journey because you can't have a real relationship with God without having a real encounter with God. You cannot have a real relationship with God without having a real encounter with God. Now, normally when people say the word encounter, we think about UFOs, or we think about the burning bush moments, you know, like, okay, God, this is encounter, when I'm talking about encountering God, I'm talking about those direct experiences with God those direct experiences where you see God at work in you around you and for you that is an encounter with God now whether it's an answered prayer and an seemingly uh, a, a circumstance where you were waiting for it or whether you're just saying like what well, God that could have been me that I, I could have lost my life if I made that left turn that is an encounter with God now I struggle with this mainly because I think one of the main reasons that I think we as a church, we as a people of God, and even people who just are on the outside, just curious about who Jesus is, struggle with this encounter is because we struggle. We're on the uh, tail end of the enlightenment where everything that we believe has to be proven. I have to see it. I have to know it tangibly. So anytime, even within the church, we kind of are suspicious of those people who kind of raising their hands like, I felt God. I need to be able to see him. I need to be able to prove him. But unfortunately, this type of thinking has led us to think that our faith is more about our activity for God than God's activity for us. The things that we do anchors our Christian life as opposed to the things that we could hold on that God has done and is doing in our life. Are you in balance? Are you just pointing to your attendance here and when did God attend to you? How much does that anchor why you get up in the morning, your day to day? Why does Christian life is worth following and believing? Now, in view of these challenges, this is why this call is that we can't have a real relationship with God unless we have a real encounter with God. Now, here's what's at stake. In times that we're living in right now, like the nation's prayer that Pastor Robert talked about, when who knows what's gonna happen in a couple of weeks? But you know what's happening in your life today without a real encounter with God to hold on to, when things move, you won't be anchored. When people ask for how do we have hope, because everything around us does not look hopeful, what will you have to hold on to? Because if you fail to have encounter, you won't have anything that's attractive, anything that will draw people in, anything that's gonna hold this world together that is so surely and consistently falling apart. And this is somewhat of the spirit and the energy that we see at least in today's passage in John 9. We're in John 9, 1 through 25. Now, all throughout the book of John, Jesus has one specific objective. He's trying to prove to everyone that he is indeed the Son of God. That is his purpose. It literally lays it out. And so you see all throughout the book, John 3 with Nicodemus, John 4 with the Samaritan woman. John 5, (coughs) John 5 when he actually has him healing the invalid. John 6 when he feeds the 5,000. Everything that he's doing is trying to, here, look, I am the son of God. And he uses encounters with people, real people, for them to prove it. If you don't believe me, let's believe Scripture. In John 4, 3 and 8, he says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him you will never believe. What are the signs and wonders in your life? It applies to them and it applies to you too. Unless you see him at work in your life, you'll never believe. But if all our life is built on a belief, you need to have signs and wonders. And so let's go to the scripture, John 9, 1 through 25, and I will read. Now it's a bit long, but I'm gonna kind of move through. So just stay with me. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is his day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one could work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Sloan and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe he had been blind and had received this sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We, we, we know he is our son, and we know he was born blind. We don't know, and but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, uh, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age and ask him. A second time, they summoned a the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. It's the word of the Lord. My hope is that you see, my hope is that you see, that you cannot have a real relationship with God unless you have a real encounter with God. And God shows us this through his work in you, his work around you, and his work for you. You cannot have a real relationship with God without having a real encounter with God. And God shows you this in his work in you, his work around you, and his work for you. His work in you. So let's set the scene in John 9 before Jesus was having an heated heated exchange with the Pharisees. And now he was telling them he is the son of God, and the Pharisees were getting angry. They were upset, so upset that they were going to give him the type of stone massage that you pay for. That's literally what it says there. And so Jesus is just doing exactly what he's called to do. He's healing all these people. And naturally, he just happens to come across a man who was blind from birth. Now, common belief at that time is that if you had any disease, any sin, anything, it, it had to do with some Body sinfulness. It it was a consequence of sin. But but Jesus rejects that right away, and he says this in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus's goal in healing this man was to show his work in him. Now, what I'm not saying is that, and as all of us know, I'm not saying this that if we believe in God, all of us, if we were dealing with disease, those of us who we know who have been faithful to the Lord and were called home to the Lord because of disease, because you believe in him, he'll naturally heal you. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you had a real encounter with God, it would transform your life. Real encounters with God transform your life. Now, I wanna be as gracious as I can say this is that Uh, There are many of you who have had an encounter with God, have been baptized and have come around, or many of you who may actually have gone to church grew up in church your entire life, but you don't really have a real relationship, a strong relationship. Now, I'm dancing around that a little bit because I think naturally it's easy to be convinced unintentionally that God and your relationship with God is more about the activities you do for God, the things that you do. I have a relationship. I grew up around church. If I grew up around church, if I grew up in a garage, it does not make me a car. I I, I thought that was good to wait there. (laughs) Only reason I could say this graciously is because that was my story. Nigerian child, we prayed I went to church I did all the things and for all my life I, I knew scriptures we would pray as a family and I was a child I grew up I was a Christian I was a Christian I went to church every Sunday and it wasn't until almost 15 years ago that I sat in front of a man after a church service I happened to be visiting California and he, he didn't recognize me, and he sat down, and he just said, man, what, tell, me about, tell me about your encounter with God. He used those words. And for the life of me, all I could keep referring to was that I grew up in church, that I went to church, that I have this Tim Keller book, that I did all of these things. But I couldn't point to a moment where there was a counter or a series of encounters where I made a decision, you know what? I need Jesus and give my life to him. Now, I felt so ashamed because I had all this knowledge. I had invested so much more in my professional career than it was into getting to know about Christ. And I didn't want to admit it. But thank God for grace that he allowed me and he taught me and he walked me through. And that I gave my life to him as an adult and I really knew what I was doing. Now, that was my story, and and maybe that's not yours. (laughs) But I think that it's sometimes the work of the enemy right now because one of the greatest ways to deceive somebody from or dissuade somebody from having something is to make them believe that they already have it, deceive them into believing they already have it. And I think our generation, that's one of the ways the enemy has many of us. Is it deceived many of us into believing that we already have a relationship with God because we could point to growing up in church, but cannot point to encounters where we said, I need you, Lord, and made a decision when you knew what it cost you? What do you have? Do you have a track record of religious experiences and faithfulness, or do you have a track record of God's work and only God moments in your life? What do you have? Can you point me to all of the religious books, all of the scriptures, all of the books of the Bible you read? Or can you point to experiences when that book of the Bible, that scripture read you? What do you have? Do you have an encounter or do you have a lifestyle? Because you can't have a real relationship with God unless you have a real encounter with God. And God is calling us for that Now, he's always at work in us, and this is good news. We actually see this in verse 4. It says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, this should be comforting to so many of us that God is always at work in our lives. He's always doing something because there is work to do, if you're honest, in your life. But too often, many of us think about God like we are going for a doctor's appointment and that God, after he's finished with the queue of other people around us, he finally gets to us. And when he finally gets to us, then he leaves and he's quiet until we need him again. But God is at work every moment, every day, every moment you need a savior until he comes back again. You need to know that God is at work for this life to be worthwhile for you to consistently be growing for you to recognize that each day I need a savior god help me so you are not pride proud but you're humble about your need for god now god does this urgently because his mission is to seek and to save the lost but also he recognized that transform people transform people And so this is why he's consistently at work in you, working on you, because you being transformed, you being forgiving, you being the bridge builder in the world, transform people, transform people. But if you have no work and God's not at work in you, then you can't transform anybody. Which one is it? Is God at work or is God asleep? But I believe he's at work. And my hope is that You believe that too. His work around you. Now, I think the scripture shows us is that every moment of your life, every second of your life matters. Every interaction, every conversation, everything that happens in your life matters because God is not a God of waste. God does not need B-roll in your moments just to fill in things. God uses every experience and interaction for your good. To transform, to shape you. Now, one of the things that was interesting about the blind man is that he was alienated for his disability. At that time, he was a sinful one. He was was cast off to the side. Now, in verse 8, it says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. Now, the funny thing about this scripture, this scripture always reminds me, you remember back in the day, those early 90s commercials, like uh, those Maybelline commercials? Anybody remember those Maybelline commercials? Right? <laughs> so, like, it, it, so it was funny. Now, in the, in the commercials, there'd be a woman who's like, you know, who's there, who's just regular, then she got some lipstick. And then once you put on the lipstick, everybody's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they're like, maybe she was born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. do you remember that? You don't, how many of you remember that? Please, come on, come on, get, come on, round of applause for that. Come on, please. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I remember those Maybelline commercials, but literally, just like those Maybelline commercials, this blind man who everyone had alienated, this blind man, this diseased man, now he has eyes. Now the whole world is seeing. Everyone, is this the same man? Is this the same man? Even in verse 9, he says, I am the man. <laughs> People took note. Everyone around him. Everyone, his neighbors, everyone was impacted, by what God did in him, it affected other people. And I think the big thing about this is that it's instructive because I think it realizes that you may not be seeing the impact, but everybody, you are seen by somebody. Somebody's looking at you. Somebody is paying attention to your life. That grandchild is paying attention to grandmother in the morning, when she's praying, when she doesn't think anybody's watching. That interaction with the cashier who had the worst day and everybody's been snapping back, but you somehow interacted. Somebody is watching you. I love Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has a scripture in 13 to 12. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Which means we can't take interactions off. We don't know what we do and how that impacts the people around us. Because God works through us and works around us. He's working around us if we're paying attention. But I think one of the hardest things is that we miss encountering God because we don't seem or don't think to look for him. Uh, there was this, uh, this experiment. You probably heard about the experiment, the invisible gorilla experiment. You ever heard about that? And it was by this Harvard researchers They did an invisible uh, experiment, essentially, They had people, some people had white shirts, some people had black shirts, and they were kind of passing a ball around. And they had people stare, and they said, count how many times these people pass this ball around. Meanwhile, in the middle of the study, a a person in a gorilla outfit comes in the middle of the study, runs to the front of the camera, and then runs back, and then afterwards they ask people, did anybody see the gorilla? None of them saw the gorilla. None of them. So they're like, you know what, we're going to up the ante. So they actually had took x-ray technicians, people whose job it is to look at x-rays closely to see anything, and they did the same thing. Nobody saw the man in the gorilla outfit. And the takeaway was really clear. You only see what you're looking for. And for us, I think, so many of us miss the God encounters in our life. Maybe not because we don't see the big gorilla, But we miss the other big G, operating, because we don't think to be looking for him. And God is calling us to be looking for him, looking for those encounters with him. Now, the blind man couldn't answer the Pharisees' questions about Jesus, about where he was from, whether he was a sinner or not. But what he could share in verse 25, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now... I see. Jesus shares actually in in, in John 5, 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to have life. (laughs) As pastors, as leaders, as brothers and sisters, we have to confess our fails because a lot of times we we have taught people to study the scriptures quite well, but not have taught people to study their own own lives to discern the God moments, the God encounters in their own life, because Scripture has told us that we should be able to give the hope to tell people the hope in which we have. First Peter three and fifteen says, "Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have." What is your answer? What is your answer this morning? What is your only God answer? Why do you have hope this morning in God? Because if you don't have these encounters, if you don't have the hope, it's going to be hard for you to hold on in seasons like this, in times of life like this. It's going to be hard for you to hold on when life itself is not Jesus putting mud in your eyes to clear you. Literally, life is throwing you into the mud and dragging you through it. You need something to hold on to so you don't get dragged away. Those are the encounters that God is offering you if you look for it. His work for you. Now, as that blind man was taking all these insults and answered the question of the Pharisees, he started to understand something about that man, Jesus, and about God. A little later on, after kind of our moment in in verse 1 through uh, 25, in verse 30, he says, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If the man were not from God, he could do nothing. He was simply healed because of his encounter with this man. It was for no other reason, for nothing that he did, but all for what Jesus did. Remember, this guy was blind. He could not see Jesus physically, but he knew it was Jesus that healed him. In that moment, in the face of expulsion, in the face of exclusion, After he was excluded, he finally has his eyesight. Now I could be with the synagogue. I could be connected again in the face of all of that again. When his own parents were too scared to stand with him. He was willing to follow a man like Jesus. Because he realized Jesus, from God the Father himself, was willing to encounter a man like him. A woman like you. A man like me. A people like us. He did this for us and we can't forget that. So one of the ways that you can even respond tangibly is to not forget it is whether you keep a journal or an answered prayer frame. I've heard of people putting frames every year, if you saw war room or different things, where they would write out answered prayers and they'd put it in a frame in their living room. So in those moments when they needed to hold on, they could refer back to what God did. I encourage you to keep something because you're going to need it. You're going to need to remember. But the reality is that even as we attempt to remember, a lot of us walk around blind, not remembering, not acknowledging what God has done. But the good news is that at the cross, not even death itself, could keep God, keep Jesus Christ from pursuing an encounter with us. The good news is that this didn't come from just heavenly scrolls to be read, but through a human being, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and bled physically, he came to encounter us. The good news is that the one who spits so the man who was blind, could see at that cross, was spit on, beaten, bloodied and murdered so that we could one day hope to see our great father. And that's amazing, that's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like we. We once, We're lost, but now we're found. Was blind, but now we see. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you have given sight to the blind, to us, your children, that though we do not see you, God, we have faith and know that you exist and that you lived and died and were resurrected for us, God, and that in one day, we'll be reunited. We thank you for the testimonies and the encounters. We thank you for your children. We thank you that we are your children. We thank you for James. We thank you that you consistently give us reminders that you are real because the relationship that you want us to have with you is one that you hope is real. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.